means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are covering chapter 25, The Beetle at Bay. And Molly is back with us. Hey! And I wanted no one other than Molly to do this chapter. I'm so excited. This is a this is a fun one. I'm um, so, so excited. This chapter is the source of a whole lot of opinions in the Harry Potter fandom of us, so... <laughs> We'll get to them. Uh, some some things that happen in this chapter, we get the news that breaks that ten Death Eaters have escaped from Azkaban. Uh, we get another educational decree. This one's number 26. And obviously we get some Cho Harry interactions. Oh, can't wait. Yeah. And as the title indicates with the Beetle part, uh, we get some Rita Skeeter. Yeah. So before we get to the main event of the show and Harry, let's get through the let's get through the the previous things that happened here. Uh, we get the ten eaters, Death Eaters escaping from Azkaban. They only name three. They name Dolohoff, Antonin Dolohoff, Augustus Rookwood, and Bellatrix Lestrange. And they say that Dolohoff murdered Gideon and Fabian Pruitt. Uh, Rookwood leaked Ministry of Magic secrets to Voldy, and uh, obviously we know Bellatrix tortured and is responsible for the permanent incapacitation of uh, Frank and Alice Longbottom. We just got that emotional chapter of Christmas on the Closed Ward with Neville and his parents, which is heartbreaking. And now, a week later, really, you're getting the whole school finding out and Neville wanting to keep everything so private and to himself, which is his right, now gets everything thrust upon him. Like, I think uh, I think Susan Bones actually mentions, uh, you know, after losing her uncle and aunt and cousins and now having every detail thrown out about it, she goes to Harry and is like, I finally get what it's like to be you. Yeah. And I don't know how you do it. Yeah. Because now everybody's staring at you, everybody's whispering, everybody's got their own theories and things flying about you and she's like i don't know how you put up with this yeah. <laughs> like it's it's a lot mm-hmm. so you're getting a little bit more empathy coming from some other students the news that this brings there's a lot of whispering there's a lot of talking in the hallways so much so that that leads to the educational decree mm-hmm. but what do you i i always get excited with the the news of this sounds weird, but I always get excited with the news of like <laughs> Death Eaters escaping Azkaban because it's yeah. like I think it's action. Mm-hmm. It indicates that there's actions to be had, yeah. and that always excites me. Like, oh, we're gonna like get into the actual war and the fighting now. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. what do you what do you take from that opening opening big landmark scene? Oh, I'm with you on that one. Like, I just you know the whole picture in the newspaper, you know the psychopathic look of Bella. I also have to, I always think of Anna now whenever I see Dollahoff. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, it's like, you're like, okay, stuff is going down. It's about to happen. 
we didn't have you on for the Christmas of the Close Award. So what did you kind of think of the Neville aspect of this? I mean, I feel for Neville in this situation. At the same time, though, it's kind of cool to see Neville evolve in this chapter. Mm, that's true. So it kind of brings a little bit of that fire, that like Gryffindor fire that was missing a little bit throughout the beginning. Yeah, I wish I could have done the whole St. Mungo's chapter too because St. Mungo's, I would work there. I know you said you wouldn't, but oh, no. totally would work there. Sign me up for St. Mungo's. <laughs> Emergency rooms are so chaotic <laughs> anyway, but you add the magical malady bit to it and yeah. you're just like, oh my goodness, yeah. this is a lot. <laughs> no, I'm all, I'm all about it. All about it. Well, you can have that aspect of <laughs> magical. I'll work on the therapy floor. <laughs> if there's a therapy floor, I'll work on it. Would you be helping uh, Broderick Bode trying to work through his stuff? Because I would. we do get a Broderick Bode mention. Yeah. That he was unfortunately he was unfortunately attacked by a devil's snare. That potted plant that was put next to his bed. Yeah. Uh, did not end well for for Mr. Bode. But going back to your Neville point, yeah, we we do get a kind of a growth of Neville in this chapter and we get him in the DA meetings and Harry takes note. It's almost alarming at how yeah. uh, drastically and quickly he's improving. Mm -hmm. He's it, there are words like he's just working harder. He's a little bit more driven, more focused. And everybody's like, we've never seen this type of Neville before. Yeah. We've never seen this from him in any class at any time. So clearly that, that news of Bellatrix being on the loose again has spurred real inspiration in him to really get down to business. Yeah. I, you know, I think it goes back to your original point. It's like, he's like, oh, this is real now. Like, I got to stop this up. I got to be able to protect myself. And I'm sure, too, like, he's thinking about his parents. It's uh, it's cool to see that. Is he? He's almost, like, number two yeah. in the DA class. Yeah. Like. Obviously, we're not counting Harry because he's teaching it. So right. it's like Hermione and then Neville, like yeah. one, two. Yeah. And he's catching up on Hermione very quickly, which uh, that should send some signals out to readers. Yeah. Don't, don't sleep on Neville. Right. So obviously, with educational decree coming in at number 26, which that decree is teachers cannot give students info that is not strictly related to subjects they are teaching. Obviously, that is spawned from uh, a lot of kids talking about this news and wanting information and then wanting everybody's two cents. And maybe Umbridge is aware that Harry particularly has some relationships with some teachers like Hagrid, like McGonagall, might want some of that information. So she tries to circumvent that. And I feel like this is uh, really inhibiting free speech here. Yeah. <laughs> like you're restricting it on an immense level. Right. You're infringing upon some rights that I think this is the first decree that really oversteps its bounds. Yeah. Uh, like others are like, wow, that's unnecessary. This is like, well, now you're really stepping over a line. And now you're flipping a switch on something that's getting darker. Yeah. Going forward. Mm -hmm. So. It's interesting you have that perspective because like when I read it, I thought more of like, um, like when the chamber was opened and they asked Bins about it, mm -hmm. 
my thought process went to like a kid in a classroom asking questions. So that was just my perspective of reading it. So You know, we haven't gotten a umbrage inspection of Bin's class yet. No, we haven't. What, what, do you think like she's just given up on that one? Like, what am I going to do with a ghost? Right. She was probably bored. <laughs> <laughs> she was probably falling asleep. Well, he's back. also lecturing. So I guess technically he's yeah. doing his job well. Right. Right. I guess. Yeah. But <laughs> we haven't gotten that one. We haven't gotten any news on bins lately yeah. for a while. But Yeah. Uh, By yeah. the way, I'm with you. Giant Wars thing. Super cool. Right? Yeah. I feel like I get that bins is not exactly the most charismatic lecturer. Yeah. But I feel like there's some cool stuff to be learned here. Yes. I would almost like everybody makes fun of Hermione for reading Hogwarts of History. Mm-hmm. I'd be just reading my magical textbooks. Like, this is actually, like, if you're a muggle-born or a half-blood that hasn't, like, lived in the magical world, mm -hmm. I feel like I'd be reading, like, a fictional story. It'd be awesome. Right? Like, yeah. it's not like reading a normal history textbook. Yeah. It's like giants and witches and wizards and dragons and like i'd be like oh this is like reading lord of the rings exactly. or something like that be cool right yeah I don't, I don't know that's just me i'm a nerd no <laughs> i am too <laughs> um, we get we get news that umbridge has started torturing other students not just harry uh we get news that she's now torturing lee jordan mm -hmm. and harry's offered some ways to treat such wounds <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just wondering, like, how does that stay quiet? We just talked about, like, the educational decree itself overstepping bounds. She's now torturing multiple students. Mm -hmm. And I can't believe every student has the angle that Harry does of, like, I'm not going to give her the satisfaction. Mm -hmm. There's got to be one student there that's going to be like, uh, forget this. <laughs> like, hey, Dumbledore, there's, look at this. <laughs> like, there's problems here. I think it's, like... The people she's choosing to punish and I'm sure if there's anything like I'm sure some of the kids know about it because there's not a whole lot that goes unnoticed at Hogwarts um, and secrets spread very very quickly yeah but it just seems like the type of people that she's you know giving these detentions to and doing these things to they have that mindset where they're like nope you're not gonna break me that's fair, but Lee Jordan is not exactly known for keeping his mouth shut. Mm. Quite the opposite. <laughs> He's like yeah. shouting to the rooftops. Yeah. And like no one's writing their parents being like, hey, I'm being abused. Yeah. Like not like, oh, I was in Flitwick's class and a spell went wrong. Like, no, no, I am being physically targeted and abused. Yeah. I wonder if they just feel like powerless to her i mean melfoy's written his dad about like everything that's, that's kind of gone wrong and that's been in the course <laughs> well, okay crouch turning him into a ferret aside yeah. <laughs> every other thing has been like like in the course of an actual class yeah. that's i guess a normal hazard mm -hmm. at hogwarts yeah that can be written off as like well that's just part of the class that can happen mm -hmm. madame pomfrey's got you yeah other than the ferret. Yeah. <laughs> the ferret was an out-of-the-way attack. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a weird thing that I, I just don't understand how it stays so quiet. Yeah. Uh, we get more of Umbridge harassing 
uh, Trelawney and Hagrid. Uh, harassing is the only word I can think of. It's, yeah. it's not an evaluation anymore. You're just... Being mean to be mean. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Aquamancy is worsening for Harry. So as, as Neville's getting better, Harry is getting worse in his lessons. Yeah, yeah. Which leads to Ron casting doubt on Snape's whole intentions to begin with. Like, is he not trying to close off your mind? Is he trying to literally open your mind up? Mm-hmm. And then I, I do like what Hermione says of just like, stop that. You, you can't speak like that because right. what evidence is he actually giving you <laughs> that he is working for Voldy? Right. He's done everything he's supposed to be doing. Dumbledore trusts them. Like, yeah. whoa, whoa. I just, I feel so bad for Harry and this whole oculumency thing because I feel like they really failed him. Like, you do? I really do. Like, would you have started it earlier? Like, in book four when this happened? Like, when he. Not necessarily failing on, like, not starting earlier. I think they failed him in a way of not explaining. I just feel like Snape is just being a jerk. To be a jerk and not actually trying like he's like okay sure fine I'll help him but I'm not gonna like help him help him. It, it's tough because I think you're right and I, Elizabeth did a good job of trying to break down like just him as a teacher in those occlumency lessons. Yeah. And I think there's a point. I think he starts the lessons well because he answers a lot of Harry's questions which I don't think Harry was expecting. Mm-hmm. Uh. But then you get to a point, and then Snape's just like, why aren't you, like, listening to me? Like, or why aren't you doing what I'm telling you to do? And then it just kind of devolves yeah. <laughs> from there into their yeah. normal back and forth. Right. They're both to blame, I think. Yeah. I, I think they're both coming at this in an antagonistic way. And part of that's also on Dumbledore, because you know they haven't had a good history up to this point. Right. So now you're putting basically two antagonistic people into the same room and literally telling them to attack each other's minds it's like this is not gonna go well not well at all and and it's hard because it's like okay well besides Dumbledore who else would be able to teach in this like who else is good at this This, I guess you're right they both fail each other in this uh, scenario but yeah just uh, well Snape's still the adult in the situation he should well it's tough because th- he knows the importance of it, mm-hmm. which is why he does it. Right. But it's like, you could be better about it. Right. <laughs> a little bit more patient. Yeah. And not not like, the, oh, he doesn't give Harry a couple of compliments where he's like, oh, that was better than I expected it to be. Yeah. Like, that's a better first go than right. other people. But right. there's like two little mini yeah. compliments, which I guess for Snape, mini compliments are like massive compliments. But, right. Yeah. You know. Got to take it in stride, I guess. Yeah. All right, Molly, are you ready for this? Yes. Are you ready for the awesomeness? I'm so ready for this. We have Cho and Harry going on a date. And it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> and they're going to Hogsmeade. But here's... here. Okay, I'm going to start with something right off the gate. Right mm-hmm. out of the gate, I have an issue with this. Because the first day back from break, which is presumably early January... Mm-hmm. They have the conversation where they set up this date, right? Mm-hmm. And then presumably, because we don't see anything happen, and Harry doesn't mention anything with Cho during the DA class, he's so focused on Neville. Right. So presumably they're not 
talking a whole lot during the DA sessions. Right. So we're going a whole month, month and a half, mm -hmm. where they don't seem to interact or talk after setting the date. And now you're going... And that's after two weeks of them not talking or corresponding after they had their first kiss. Yeah. So you get two weeks between first kiss and next interaction. <laughs> then you get a month and a half between asking out on a date and then the actual date. Yeah. Of course this is going to be awkward. Very. Like, of course Harry's going to be walking up to Cho being like, what the heck do I say? Also, my arms are moving oddly. <laughs> and why is my hair the way it is? <laughs> <laughs> and the, like everything about this is weird and you're focused on all of the wrong things yep. going in yeah those first date feels man have you ever had this where it's like you've had a moment with someone and then you have not interacted with them for a while before your second moment with them i'm gonna put you on blast you were just married yes so your first moment with your now husband yes and the second moment. Yeah. It was like a day. Well, okay. That's, see, that's yeah. more reasonable. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I tend to fall like in that day to a week. Yeah. At least for, at least for communication. Yeah. And being like, hey, how's your day going? Right. I just have that issue to start on yeah. this whole thing. Before we even get to all of the other stuff. Like, Harry could, and Cho. This is a two-way street. Yeah. They both could do a better job of being like, Hey, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Or, hey, how was that transfiguration class? Mm -hmm. Or, oh, I heard Snape's giving you trouble, you know, forget him or whatever, you know, something. Just something. Anything. Yeah. Anything at all. But they just go long periods of time <laughs> talking to each other. So yeah. that's a rough. But yeah. um, I, I do like the, the speaking of Harry being self conscious about his looks and the way he's walking, he checks his reflection in a teaspoon. Yeah. A teaspoon. Just real quick. <laughs> like, how does, the, like, I could, I, if Snape was, I would have actually loved if Snape was in yeah. earshot of this. Yeah. And just seeing Harry <laughs> check his reflection in a teaspoon. And then you just get a, sh like, a snide comment from, like, the gallery of Snape just yeah. being like, oh, that figures, Potter. <laughs> that figures. All right. So they, they eventually break through this awkwardness of, like, hey, I haven't talked to you in, like, a month. Uh, so they start talking about Quidditch, which is always a good start. That's, that's their baseline. Yeah. And that's great. Then Pansy Parkinson makes it weird. Yeah. And she calls out Harry and she's like, Cho, you can do better. He's not even that attractive. At least Cedric was attractive. Yeah. Uh, which just makes it super awkward. And then they kind of fall back into this like <laughs> odd silence. Like, okay, hey. But then... They get to Hogsmeade and they actually look at all of these signs on every single shop window about um, the break from Azkaban. And Cho actually does make a really interesting note. She's like, Dementors were swarming this mm -hmm. place for one serious black. Yeah. Ten. Ten Death Eaters escaped from Azkaban. Not one Dementor to be found anywhere around. They don't care. And here's like, you know, that's actually a really valid, good point. Yeah. That's weird. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has a little inside info in that Dementors are supposedly being recruited by Voldy. Which then brings the question. I have a whole bunch of questions about that. Okay. Yeah. One. How does one recruit a Dementor? Do the Dementors have a leader? 
how do you communicate with said Dementor? Do you just talk and they understand you? Do they talk? We haven't yeah. heard one talk. Do they just like give a thumbs up? <laughs> just you know? like a skeletal, <laughs> like, like yes. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be really. Uh, I would be intimidated if they were like yeah. going for the thumbs up and then they went thumbs down. <laughs> I'd be like, oh gosh. No. <laughs> then comes the Dementor's kiss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was just like, I don't know how you like. So we get that scene of the Death Eaters and Hagrid and Madame Maxine like going to the Gurg of the Giants. Yeah. And that whole process of recruiting the Giants. Yeah. How does that work, Dementors? Right. I don't, like, how does Voldy swing that? Right. Or how does Fudge communicate with them where, when he needs them to go somewhere? Right. Well, the other thing, too, which makes is an interesting question, is, like, well, what was going on in Azkaban to begin with? Were those Dementors leaving them alone, those Death Eaters alone? Did they end up, like, obviously, like, they helped with the breakout, I'm going to assume, they didn't actively participate yeah. in the breakout. They just didn't help keep them in. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, right. they just passively were like, oh, oh no. they're escaping. Yeah. Darn. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what is the moral compass of a Dementor? I, I don't know. I think... You know? I mean, obviously, they want to be off this stupid rock. Right. So I guess the bargaining chip is like, hey, we won't confine you to this rock. Maybe. Like, you can go wherever you want. Yeah. And then the skeletal thumbs up. <laughs> the skeletal thumbs up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's just how I'm going to think that they communicate from now on. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I just have these, like, ideas yeah. of, like, what is going on? Yeah. By the way, too, like, sorry, going back to the um, whole Cho and Potter date, mm -hmm. like, how do you not have a plan? Well, that's what, like so. That's you part know? of the problem of not talking for like a month. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. It's it's weird to not have a plan. And you're just yeah. like, also Hogsmeade. I don't, I don't know how many real options there are. Like, hey, right. you want to check out the Shrieking Shack? Right. A haunted building. Yeah. 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 And then go to the Hogshead. <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't know what we're gonna find there. So there's a bunch of excitement there. Does it count as a petting zoo? <laughs> Oh, yeah. It might. It might. <laughs> Goats everywhere. You never know. You never know. Well, regardless, they end up at a place called Madame Puttyfoot's. Oh, boy. Which is Molly's favorite place in the entire Harry Potter universe. I, I mean, there's nothing better than cherubs spewing glitter all over the place. In fairness to Madame Puttyfoot's, <laughs> normally this is just a tea shop. This is just like a normal like tea coffee shop. Like think Starbucks, but not as like yeah, like name a cozy brand. coffee shop. Yeah, it's just yeah. like a hipster coffee shop. I would I would probably go there for real though. Yeah, yeah. I mean I, I think most people would. This, however, on this particular day, <laughs> is decorated to. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's decorated to a drastic level where, as you mentioned, cherubs are literally throwing confetti upon you at mm -hmm. your table. Yeah. And it, it's it's not great. No. And then Harry becomes even more self-conscious when he realizes that at every table there are couples. Yeah. Including probably Snape and Trelawney. We just didn't Right, right. They're in the back mentioned. somewhere. Yeah, they're, they're yeah. They had they got that private space. Exactly. But we do get Roger Davies and his date, who <laughs> immediately like start holding hands, snogging. and then they start snogging, they start kissing, 
And Harry's like, I hope she expects none of this. From me. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. It. I don't know. I'm trying to remember what it was like. It's easy to poke fun at this now, but I'm trying to remember what I was like at 15. Yeah. Now pressure is on you mm-hmm. to like make a move. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And that's an intimidating thing, I think. Yeah. Especially if, especially when one person might be more experienced at this particular circumstance than the other. Yeah. Harry's, this is the first date he's been on as far as yeah. we know. This is the first date he's been on. <laughs> and Cho, as she mentions later, has been, he- literally been here and done that. Yeah. With Cedric. We'll yeah. we'll get we'll get down that road. So many feels. I know. I'm trying really hard to like let go of like older lived a few years logical Molly. Cause I love and I hate this all at the same time. I love this so much, but I also just like it makes me cringe. But well, I love it. So the the cringy parts that Molly is mentioning start now. We get <clears throat> Harry after like Periods of intermittent, like, oh, let's make fun of Umbridge. Ha, 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 ha. Five minutes go by. Now we have nothing to talk about again. Yeah. And it's silent. Yeah. And it's silent. Other than the snogging and kissing at the next table. Right. Silence. Awkwardness. Very awkward. Yeah. So Harry then mentions, oh, I got an idea. I'll ask Cho if she wants to go to the Three Broomsticks to see Hermione. Except he doesn't really phrase it in a great way. No. And it makes Cho think that Harry is more interested in seeing Hermione than Mm -hmm. seeing her. Fellas, I know you're out there. (laughs) And I know you've said something. And the moment you say something, the wonderful woman that you're with gives you a look. (laughs) And you immediately know you've said something wrong. You've just walked right into it. (laughs) And we've all been there. It's happened to all of us. But Harry, as soon as he mentions Hermione and the Three Broomsticks, Cho's whole demeanor turns on a dime. And she is not happy. No. So much so that she mentions that Roger, the one holding hands and kissing at the next table, asked her out, like, fairly recently. Yeah. And she turned him down. And, oh, yeah, I was here last year with Cedric. Yeah. That's not great. No. None not, of that is great. Not great. And then, she this uh, this is where she goes from, like, a little passive-aggressive. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair, maybe? Like, it's an understandable reaction. In Let me say that. In world, way. yes. It's an understandable reaction. Yeah. Here's where I think she deviates <laughs> from the world of, like, okay, I could kind of see where she'd start drifting. Then she mentions, like, did he mention me before he died? Oh, yeah. That's where it takes a turn into nope, 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 nope. Just, you know. This just got really awkward really fast. Yeah. And and I, I do like Harry's response of like, he didn't have, t- he was murdered. Right? He didn't have time to be like, Cho. <laughs> Let Cho know my feelings. Like, I that's not that. how any of that works. I like that question. Bo- that question bothered me. Yeah, that's such young love, though. It is. I, I like. They. I still am a firm believer. They need to talk through the Cedric thing. Yes. I. It's not a pleasant conversation. I don't think anybody would assume that it's a pleasant conversation for either of them. No. Yeah. 
But if they're going to be a thing, they need to work that out. And it got brought up on their first kiss night and then left for two weeks. Yeah. It wasn't mentioned the second time when they got the date. And then a month later, like, they just need to actually communicate. Yeah. Which is hard when you're... It's also hard. Even in my adult form, this is a hard subject to bring up. It's a hard conversation. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh, Cho likes me and she's happy. Let's not bring up the sad thing. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things. So I under... Believe me, I understand. Like, it's a hard thing to talk about. Right. But this ain't happening. No. Unless they get past the Cedric of it. Right. And it's it's hard. Yeah. They're just not emotionally mature enough to no. to handle any of that uh, no uh, this the whole thing was fumbled yeah. uh from the get-go i mean harry is not great at picking up these things and he probably if he's 15 he shouldn't be no like yeah. this this is one of those moments in his life yeah that later on when he's with his girlfriend or with his wife or mm-hmm. with whoever and he looks back on his like that was a teachable moment yeah i now know how to better speak with my girlfriend or wife <laughs> based on that moment yeah learning yeah. opportunity exactly uh i did however enjoy when cho eventually gets up and storms out mm-hmm. i i do love the fact that he goes women yeah <laughs> like throws up his hands <laughs> women those women <laughs> i did enjoy that yeah because again fellas i mean yeah we've all said that at some point like oh, oh my goodness and us as females we've always been like men which is totally what Cho is thinking right now. Yeah, probably. Yeah. That's fair. I yeah. have my moments where I'm very dumb. Yeah. Very I, dumb. I have my moments where I'm very emotional and just like, you know, irrational. I catch myself. I'll catch myself sometimes. I'm like, oh, I should not. Yeah. Have. I, I pull a Hagrid. I yeah. should not have said that. Yeah. Should not have said yeah. that. <laughs> well, and I, I get Harry how like he doesn't, he thinks it's such an innocent comment because mm-hmm. to him it is. Mm-hmm. He literally means nothing by it. He, yeah. But... He doesn't understand how that can be heard from a different perspective. Exactly. With a different mindset. Right. And he f- he figures that out eventually. Right. When she brings up the Hermione thing. Yeah. How do you think you would have handled, like, in you, let's put you in Cho's shoes. Okay. Now, keep in mind, you go to school with him and you have mm-hmm. for a while now. Yeah. So you know he hangs out with Ron and Hermione. Right. Like... How would you react to Harry being like, hey, Hermione wants me to go meet her at the Three Broomsticks. Would you mind coming with me? Yeah. I would like to believe. (laughs) I would like to believe I would react. Famous last words. Right. I would react where like, oh, man, he's bringing me into a circle of friends. But not knowing fully the situation, even though I know that he, like, hangs out with them, I'd probably be a little jealous. I'd be like, well, why are you going to meet, you know, with all those emotional hormones going on? I probably would have been like, well, what do you, what do you want to meet Hermione for? Huh? Well, let me rephrase it in a different way. So take you into the real world, not the Harry Potter world. Yeah. If you're on a date, you're like, hey, yeah. let's go out on Saturday. Okay, it's a it's a date, Saturday. Yeah. And then halfway through this date, he goes, hey, you know, uh, one of my friends, making up a name, Ashley, 
I really want to meet her at mm -hmm. this bar downtown or whatever. You want to come with? Like, how would you react? I mean, I would be kind of disappointed because I would expect that I'd want to be with that person right. all day. That's just fair. getting to know that person. Sure. But I probably would reluctantly be like, okay. Because <laughs> that's who I am as a person. Fair enough. <laughs> but but so, that's putting you in Cho's shoes. Right. Of like, whoa, the plan just got switched on me and now I'm right. meeting you with another girl. It's what? Right. I, and I mean, I, I would definitely have questions. I think I would be like, well, what's going on? Like, what are we doing? Like, sure. You know, I'd want to be more inquisitive about it. I, I think, think it's fair. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to switch up the plan <laughs> on you, like, right. You know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it would definitely be disappointed that I wasn't being, that I didn't get the chance to like spend all day with that person. I was going on a date, Well, not all day, but like spend that time. You know with what? I'm going to say something a little inflammatory here. Okay. I think this is kind of on Hermione. Yeah. I think this whole thing is a little bit on Hermione. Why? Because she didn't tell him at all what was going on or going to go on at the three broomsticks. Yeah. Number one. Number two, I don't think for someone who is so in touch with feelings and obviously... She didn't think about it. She did not think about no. Cho in yeah. this <laughs> circumstance at all. Definitely a failure in her mind. And I get that she's got a bigger picture in mind, but... Right. I think it's a little on her mind here. Right. Like, you knew Harry was had this thing set up. Right. And you told him nothing about it going in. Yeah. It's a little on you. Yeah. Anyway, we get to the, uh, after the big blow up at <laughs> Madame Puttyfoot's, we get to the three broomsticks where Harry runs into Hagrid initially. And Hagrid is not feeling pretty good. He's, he's no. in a mood. He's in a mood. And, you know, it's, Harry's having a day. <laughs> because... <laughs> He has to deal with the incident with Cho, and now he goes to Hagrid, and Hagrid starts talking about how they're both orphans, and it's like, oh, can I, can I just moonwalk my way out of this conversation? The Homer Simpson into the bushes. Kind of, yeah. yeah. I'm just like, oh, I did not need this conversation back to back. Yeah. And then Hagrid eventually just leaves of his own, and he turns around, and Hermione's there with Luna and Rita Skeeter, of all people. Ultimately, Rita doesn't believe that Voldy's back. She also doesn't believe that the Prophet wants to print any of what Harry has to say. Yeah. Which gets into a little bit of back and forth about press and the media and just how bias works in the media. Yep. Uh, and a little behind the scenes with how Fudge might be pulling the strings there and all that kind of good stuff. I do like how Hermione refers to herself as Little Miss Perfect at one point. Yeah. I was like, oh, she's getting sassy. I like it. But ultimately, Rita is to write the true account of the graveyard scene from Goblet of Fire from a pro-Harry point of view. Mm -hmm. And it will ultimately end up being printed in the Quibbler. And we find out Luna's father is, is the editor. Rita finds out that Luna's father is the editor. Uh, which she's not super thrilled about having an article of hers put in the Quibbler. Nor does she think anybody will read it. No. Or take it seriously. Yeah. But uh, what do you think about this game plan from Hermione? I think it's solid. I mean, I will say it's a little like, okay, it's the quibbler, though. I think anybody would think that. Yeah. But I do think it's a good thing for Harry to be able to get his story out there somehow. So. Yeah. I think Rita gets, you know, kind of her antennas perked up because 
oh, well, we'll name names. Yeah. Like, we'll name all of the Death Eaters that Harry remembers. And right. it's like, oh, I'm now interested. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. that's news. She wants the, the, the dirty, the dirty, like, dish. That, that quill doesn't have to do any work because yeah. it'll just be like laid out there. She didn't have to like pump it up. It's like, this no. is juicy enough as is. Yeah. Like I don't even have to fluff it. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting strategy. I don't know how the other adults in the world, like this is Hermione as a 15 year old concocting this plan. Yeah. Involving Rita and I guess Luna's father, the editor. I don't know if Dumbledore or Sirius or Lupin or Voldy, <laughs> or any of them, I don't know how they would be like, oh, this is this is a good idea. Yeah. Like, I don't know how any of the adults would take this article. Yeah. Like, I don't know that Voldy really wants Harry saying stuff, even if it is in the Quibbler. Maybe he does take that view of like, ah, it's the Quibbler. Right. No one cares. Right. Or if Dumbledore, I could see Dumbledore being like, I'm sorry, you did what? Mm. Actually, not a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, maybe I should have thought of that. Right. Or, uh, oh, this was this was bad because now this yeah. brings a lot of attention. I don't know. I don't know how any of them would think right. about it. I mean, I will say, though, like, it is coming from Rita Skeeter, who does have a wide fan base. It's true. She also has a reputation, though. Yeah, she does. She does. So. But you still have people that are willing to hook on to her gossip true so you have she does have name brand recognition she does but i mean if you know her you know that she maybe hyperbolizes some things oh yeah flat makes some stuff up yeah but i, I mean you were gonna probably get a wide range of opinions on an article like this just mm -hmm. based on the author and based on the author the actual publication <laughs> and the fact that the prophets already had several months to create a narrative. Yeah. And and we talked about that with Dumbledore and Fudge back mm -hmm. when they had that argument at the end of Goblet Fire. And it's like, narrative matters. And who's going to try to control that narrative? Right. And what narrative is it going to be? And, you know, that matters. Right. If you can be the first one to get your narrative out and have it be a, from a fairly trusted source, that matters. That goes a long way. Now you have the prophet having months mm -hmm. of spouting that narrative. Right. What reaction are you going to get, no matter who it's from or where it's printed? Right. But anyway. Yeah. We will end the non-spoiler here. Yeah. And then we will kind of delve into the spoiler section and just see where that conversation goes. Yeah. So we'll be right back. All right. We are back with the spoiler section of chapter 25, The Beetle at Bay. So we're going to start out with just some of uh, Molly's favorite points from some previous chapters. I know you were really high on St. Mungo's. Oh, man. I would... I know I said it earlier. I'll say it again. I'll say it again forever. I would totally work at St. Mungo's. We are both in the healthcare field, so... We, we are. We yeah. do have that kind of experience. We, we do. Um, what floor would you want to work on? Well, I'm a little torn between a couple of them. I think it would be really cool to work at the Artifact Accidents because I think it would be most similar-ish to what I do now. Because um, it's like cauldron explosions and wand backfiring and like, you know, That's maybe like, like broken bones and 
you know, broom crashes. That seems like, okay, like, all right, let's heal up them bones. So I don't know how I would feel about the creature-induced injuries because uh, I think you'd get a lot of weird skin stuff, which I'm not really into. I you don't think that's look... where you get the weird skin stuff? I, I think yeah. it's the next floor that you see the weird skin stuff. My... The magical bugs floor is the one where I don't want any bit of that floor. Yeah. See, I see that more of a, as like colds and flus. Like it's contagious maladies, dragon pox, vanishing sicknesses. I don't know what that is, but it sounds like some kind of fungus. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I don't, I don't I'm want gonna any pass on that floor too. Okay. Because again, I don't want to see anything like too too gross. Fair especially enough. with skin. Fair but, enough. Yeah, I like I never wanted to work wound care. Pass. Pass. Wound care is okay as long as it's not in Infected wound care, then it becomes an interesting. Exactly, I don't want to specialize ever in wound care. I used to work at a doctor's office, and I would uh, work with some surgeons, and they would want like dressings changed on some things. Yeah. Or part of my job was literally take off the dressing of whatever like surgical incision was made, <clears throat> and check it before the doctor got in, so I could give the doc a heads up like. Hey, it's looking pretty good. I think I could just take out the staples real quick and be done. Or yeah. if it was good, they just expected me to. Or if it didn't look good, <laughs> be like, hey, I'm not touching that. You yeah. might want to take a look. Yeah. And they're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I have one in mind. I'm not going to like gross out our, yeah, our listeners, listener, but I have yeah. one particular in mind that's still like yeah. ingrained there from years ago. Yeah. Because usually what I have to look at is not so bad. Yeah, so. I mean, we're both based orthopedically. So right. muscles, bones, joints. Right, exactly. Fairly simple. Yeah. Mine is spell damage. I think spell damage would be an exciting... Spell damage? Yeah. yeah. That'd be an exciting floor to work on. I think so, too. Like, that's the other one I was torn between because I think it would be kind of fun. It'd be, like, figuring out, like, a puzzle or something like that. Like, there's different pieces, too. I guess that can be... That could be hard, too, though, because, you know, that's where you get some of the Lockhart's and the Alice yeah. and Frank. Yeah. And that that could be hard right. to deal with. You need, like, a certain mindset, too. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I guess I'm not thinking of, like, their their ward, which was the long-term yeah. ward. I'm thinking more, like, emergency care type things where it's just, like, a quicker fix. Right. Not, like, a permanently incapacitated type yeah. injury. No. Because that's hard yeah. emotionally to, to, oh, to deal for with. for sure. For sure. To see people that you know aren't going to get better. That, yeah. That'd be hard. Yeah. That'd be but. really hard. Oh, I think it's been a hot minute. You guys were talking about Slytherins and how there really aren't very many redeeming Slytherins. Mm -hmm. We've had that conversation with a few people. And Jen, yeah. Jen being a resident Slytherin has mentioned it quite a few times. How it's frustrating for her. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean... We'll see it more in the next book, and we can speak more on it on the next book, but I think there's some redeeming Slytherins out there. Like, I don't think that they're all bad. I think it's just the ones that we are introduced to, for the most part. Like, I don't think Slughorn's that bad. Well, I think he's a very redeeming Slytherin. Well, then you, what you're doing is you're getting into the definition of redemption, <laughs> and like, what qualifies True. as redemption, because yeah. he's not like... He's not an altruistic character. Yeah. But he's certainly not like an evil character either. Right. So he's right. like some gray lined area yeah. of Slytherin. Yeah. 
Like, I don't identify with, like, the Slytherins at all in terms of, like, ambition and all of that kind of stuff. But, uh, I don't know, maybe it's the Hufflepuff in me where I'm like, no, they're not that bad. They're not all that bad. So. Well, no, I mean, odds are that there's got to be some good Slytherins and there's got to be some good Slytherins or well-intentioned Slytherins right. at Hogwarts. Then you get into the question of, is it just peer pressure mm-hmm. that they all have to like seemingly be this way? Or is it you know, a more sinister type of pressure because they know who people's dads are? You know, right. It's not really a secret. Right. You know, or, you know, there's... I think there's a lot of layers. There's it. a lot of layers. Yeah. And I think, it, I think it is a more complicated issue than the general reader might mm-hmm. just... Oh, Slytherin, he's evil. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, I, my big thing is we always get time jumps. Yeah. And it's like, well, that was a, a moment to be like, hey, a Slytherin came up to Harry and was like, hey, good job. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe that was their moment <laughs> to get a positive remark from a Slytherin. Exactly. Yeah. And then um, I think you guys were talking about knitting in one episode, too. I think it was with Elizabeth. And I think magical knitting, like you could probably like set it up and walk away. Oh. But what I think is that your talent, like with knitting, is equivalent to to, what actually the magic is. Yeah, to what the magic is. So it's similar to like Rita and her quill. Exactly. Like she imparts a bit of like when she like puts Mm -hmm. the quill to her like tongue or to her lips or whatever and then it starts writing. It's a little like you're imparting some of yourself into that magical object. Yes. Or else everyone would be awesome knitters. And clearly that's not the case. That's fair. Because she does mention she gets better at it the more she does it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, okay. All right. That's interesting. So that's my hot take on that. That was um, with Hermione... And the put, house elves. Put, yeah, putting the clothes yeah. out for the house What is yeah. your moral thought on that? Do you think she's morally wrong for trying to trick the house elves? I do. I don't think that that was cool. I think it's a misstep by Hermione. Yeah. Personally. Like, I get what she's trying to do, but, like, no. I mean, you heard what Dobby said about it. He's like, all the house elves won't even come into the common right. room anymore. You're right. driving them away from you. Exactly. And then Dobby is stuck doing all the work, which, uh, you know, he's Dobby. But But now he's got like 50 hats. Yeah. He (laughs) does. It's true. He is set for a Hogwarts winter. Very true. I guess one last thing is, um, you know, I never really thought about this and I very much liked this when Jen brought this up, how this was her least favorite book just because of Umbridge. Mm. I completely agree with like. It's not my least favorite book, but I can empathize with her that, like, every time she would read this, Umbridge would be there, and then you'd think, like, ugh, Umbridge. And, yeah, you know, sometimes at night when you're reading, that's not what you want to end with. It, you almost forget about Umbridge. Yeah. And then she pops up, and it's just immediate dread. Like nails on a chalkboard. Yeah. It's yeah. just, you could read just a couple of words, and you can just have this visceral feeling about it yeah and it's it's a credit to the writing being done is what it really is uh which is honestly it's why it's one of my favorite books is yes it's hard to read then you get so infuriated with the injustice of Mm -hmm. umbridge 
but the fact that it's causing such an emotional reaction, like a book is causing such an emotional reaction, I think is just brilliant. Oh, it's awesome. So, you know, that's my reasoning for why it's my favorite book, but... Yeah. I can understand that. Like, there's TV shows that people have told me are just phenomenal, like Breaking Bad, and I can't do it because it just gives me this ick feeling. Really? Yeah. So TV shows are different for me in that if I do feel, like, infuriated at it, Mm -hmm. I'm not as... I want to be more intrigued. Yeah. Than infuriated. Yeah. If, if the show is making me mad, I'm not inclined to continue watching it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know why it's different from books to, to yeah. visual media, but... Right. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, there are characters that can be infuriating, but if, like... Right. The show is, I can't. Yeah. Can't do it. Yeah. So... There are parts of Breaking Bad that made me mad. Yeah. I'm not going to spoil Breaking Bad for our listeners, but... Yeah. There are parts that made me mad. Yeah, like everyone was like, you need to watch this. And I watched like two or three episodes and I was like, yeah, no, I can't. There are like one or two characters that made me really mad. There are also one or two characters in that show that I'm like, I love every time this character's on screen. So yeah. I have to watch just for this character. <laughs> yeah. And I'm fine doing that because it's so good. But Right, yeah. Anyway. Yes. If anybody else wants to be part of the conversation, you leave a comment on any of our episodes on Spotify. You can also participate in the polls. You can comment on Twitter or Instagram. You can repost our stuff. That always helps us grow. You can also leave a voicemail. And instead of me reading your words, we can hear your voice and your words yourself by leaving that voicemail. And as always, thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. And we will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.